Jesus, Lord, we thank you as we've sung. It's your love that makes all things new. It's your love that penetrates into the deepest parts of our lives and changes those areas that we may have struggled with, those thoughts, those predominant things that we've wrestled with. We thank you that it's your love that makes those things that we cannot change brand new. And we thank you, Lord, that our lives are being changed from glory to glory. Lord, we thank you that you're transforming our very life by the work of your wonderful spirit. And this we give you thanks for. We thank you for the wonderful promises of your word. We thank you that your word is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to deal with those things within us that we can't deal with and address them and adjust them and completely transform and change them. It's your wonderful word, Lord. We thank you that that word which you speak, you send it, it can't return to you void without accomplishing that for which you have sent it. And your word has a purpose in our lives. Your word has work to do in our lives and it will accomplish everything that you've sent it to do. We thank you for that, Lord. Lord, we thank you that our confidence is in this, that he who has begun a wonderful good work within us will perform it until the day of your return, until the day that we see you face to face. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the wonderful sense that your word is working in our lives. Come on, let's give Jesus another shout of praise. And let's thank our musicians this morning. Wonderful. And you may be seated. Well, I'm going to continue this morning with what we've been looking at over the last number of weeks. We've been talking about how God transforms and changes our lives. It's wonderful to know that God actually doesn't want our lives to stay the same. It's wonderful to know that God isn't just bolting on his life onto an old life that we once had. It's wonderful to know that old things, the Bible says, have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God isn't giving us this makeshift life that, you know, just we get together with him and suddenly it's, it's, it's all there, but it isn't what he intends. No, God has a purpose for every single one of our lives and it's transformation. It's transformation. The work isn't finished yet. God's not over. God's not done. God's not through with our lives. There's going to be changes that take place. There's going to be transformation that occurs that's going to surprise you and amaze you. And initially, you may be a bit fearful of it. Initially, you may be scared about the choices that you've got to make in relation to the changes that have occurred. But in light of everything that happens, I'm telling you now, when you go with God and when you, when you believe what He's doing and you put your faith in that... The change is going to be glorious. The transformation is absolutely wonderful. Now, I want to begin this morning by making three statements. And I want you to listen to them carefully because what they mean is important to all of our lives. The first is this. 
you will eventually become the person you believe you are. You will eventually become the person you believe you are. Secondly, in the process of time, your attitudes and your actions will be in keeping with the image that you have of yourself. And thirdly, in time, others will see you as you see yourself. Important statements that we have to consider. Outside of Christ, that, right there, those statements are a terrible prospect. Absolutely terrible. But inside of Christ, what a wonderful prospect those statements are, those realities are. Because God, you see, by His Spirit wants to get right to the core and right to the center of our belief system, our mind and our heart, and He wants to change it. He wants to be involved. He wants to conform it to the wonderful image of Christ Jesus. In fact, Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. God wants to get right to the center of who we are. And he wants us to change who we believe we can be by the influence of his word. He really does. We've been looking at Jacob over these last weeks. And we see that he was on a journey, on a, on a collision course with God so that God could get right to the center of his belief system about who he was change his identity, influence who he could be. And in Genesis chapter 32, we've looked at that. We see that Jacob had an encounter with God. He could no longer run from God. God, through the circumstances that were in Jacob's life, had cornered him, cornered him, brought everything to a standstill, and we picked up on a, on, on a number of different phrases and verses within that great chapter. And one of them was this. The moment where Jacob decided to separate himself from everything he'd acquired through deceit and strife and stress and lying and cheating. He decided that he couldn't do it any longer. And it says, and Jacob was left alone. He went across the Jabbok River and he separated himself from his four wives or his two wives and his two concubines and everything that he'd amassed through deception. He stood alone with God. He didn't know God was going to turn up. He was alone. Let me ask you, what is God challenging you to separate yourself from? What is God challenging you to hold on with what you're holding on to? Maybe it's a struggle. Maybe it's a wrestle. Maybe it's a grapple. Maybe God, for a long time now, has highlighted something or earmarked something. 
And you, 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 you continually hold on to it. And God says, listen, you've got to let me have that. It's going to be a disadvantage to you in the future. You're not going to be able to walk into everything that I've got planned for you. It was like this with Jacob. Have you ever turned over a corner on a page in a book when you've been reading it? And you turn over that corner and every time you open the book, the page opens to the corner that you've turned over. And it's like that with God. In areas of our lives, sometimes he just turns over the corner so that every time we open the book, every time we wake up, suddenly it'll come up before us again and it'll just be before us. I'm asking for this issue. I'm asking for this area of your life. Hand it over. It's time to surrender. It's time to submit. This is what was happening to Jacob. Genesis chapter 32. The great thing was... He separated himself from everything that he'd amassed, everything that he'd grappled for, everything he'd deceived everyone in. And he's alone. He's alone. And we said, I, I, I gave you four points at the outset a number of weeks ago. I said, Jacob's transformation was determined by what he was willing to separate himself from to go forward with God. He was alone. You want to go forward with God? You're going to have to let go of some stuff. Oh, really? Really? You mean God just, you know? No, you're going to have to let go of some stuff. A rich man came to Jesus. A rich young ruler came to Jesus one day. And, and you know, oh, it was a wonderful scene. You, you read it. In the Gospels, he actually got down on his knees and started to worship Jesus. Oh, well done. He sang really well. Sang really well. Did all the stuff. It was a great show. The Greatest Showman. You've seen the film. Oh yeah, it was a great show. And then Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter to see if he was going to get alone with God. To see if he was willing to separate himself with what he had his hand on. He said, Jesus, I want to come into your kingdom. Jesus, I want eternal life. How do I get it? Jesus said, well, be a good boy and obey the law. He immediately comes back. Oh, Jesus, I've got full marks in obeying the law. I've never committed adultery. I've loved the Lord, my God, with all of my heart since the days of my youth. And Jesus looked at him. And with sadness and grief in his heart, he says, there's one thing. And this one thing is going to determine all things. One thing, it could be one thing that hinders you from having the blessing and the overflow and the power of God that you've desired for all of your life. One thing. He said, I tell you what it is, son. It's your money. Oh, Jesus, you could have been a little bit more politically correct there. Jesus, you could have, uh, what about being seeker sensitive? You know, Jesus, we don't want to offend anybody. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not good manners to talk about money, Jesus. Now, I, it, in this case, it was money. It could be anything. It could be anything. Dave, you're riding your bike too much. See, it could be anything. And let me say this to you. 
Just because good habits are good, it doesn't mean to say in the end they can't turn bad. Just because you've got healthy habits, if those healthy habits have got a greater place than God in your life, let me tell you, what's good has become a bad habit. Telling you, the Holy Ghost told me. So I'm not saying, please, please, when I'm passionate this morning, I am talking to myself and the challenges that I face. Not to you. I don't know anything about you. I love you. We love each other. But I can't talk about the privacy of your own heart. I've got no, I'm just telling you what the Holy Ghost is telling me and then he'll apply it to you. He says, son, it's your money. Dave, it's your bike. Could be anything, couldn't it? And you know what? He said, son, I tell you what to do with that money. What, Jesus? Put it in an investment account and on the stocks and shares market so it might increase. I've heard you talk about the, the you know, the stewards that, uh, that you apportioned different money to and they, one went and invested there and the other one inv- went and invested there and he was given more because I'm an, I'm an amazing investor. I'm an amazing entrepreneur. I heard you when you spoke about those three men. I haven't buried my talent in the ground, Jesus. I've grown it. So what do you want me to do, Jesus? Go and find a Swiss bank account so it can grow and grow and grow. No, son. See, the revelation's going to be different for you, son. Going to be different for you. Tell you what. Take what you have, all of it, and go and give it to the poor. My God, I think all the blood left his head and he fell down on the floor. And then he said, then he said this, once you've done that, come and follow me, but you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me because the cross is going to be that instrument of death that you need to carry in every event in your future because you're going to want to go back to that ugly stuff that you've relied on. And you're going to need a cross to deal with it. I'm telling you, man, it's powerful. But what was Jesus doing? He was saying, son, I want to change you. Son, I want to transform you. Son, you may think that life is great and it can be even better than you've ever imagined because the the quality of life that I want to give you isn't dependent on the fluctuation of things, whether you have them or whether you don't. And please, don't... Think that this is a, 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 a message about money. I'm not telling you to go and sell everything that you, that you have and give it to the poor. I've got no right to do that. There were people in the New Testament that were very, very wealthy. So it's not, it's what Jesus says at the moment of meeting you and I. And whether we're willing to surrender. You know, sometimes it takes greater discipline I don't know why I'm saying this. It takes greater discipline and greater stewardship to hold money and keep money than it does to release money. Any fool can just release it and throw it away. It takes discipline, responsibility, and stewardship to keep it. So there's no right or wrong. There's no, this is the way you must do it. No, you've got to go with the Spirit. In the moment that he, that he speaks. 
It was a moment where the young man was alone with God, just like Jacob was. And you know what? The young man won the fight. And he walked away and Jesus was sad in his heart. And we hear, we hear no more about him. But on this night, Jacob was alone with God. And his transformation was, was firstly dependent on what he was willing to separate himself from. You want to be transformed? Then maybe God's going to come and he's going to say, Dave, you're going to have to let the bike go. Now, he hasn't said that yet. <laughs> right? But if he ever did, I'd be at the juncture. I'd be at the crossroads. I'm telling you now, I know how dependent I am on that bike. It, it, I tell you, you laugh about it, but I'm dependent on that bike. Man, I need that bike. I need to do my 100 miles every week. If I fall below it, ee, i got to get my 100 miles in. Now, you've got to be careful when you're at that point. And if God touches it, <laughs> it's going to be a really sad day. But if he touches it, and you see, all I'm saying is, Right? All I'm saying is, we've all got those little things that God is touching. And we may have to surrender them. We may have to give them over. He was alone with God and he was willing to separate himself from everything that he had amassed as a result of that. The moment is ripe. This is the pinnacle, the summit of all of his human experience. On this night, he didn't realize that. He didn't know that this was gonna be the moment, the, the crescendo, the peak of his spiritual life. Commentators tell us that he was possibly about 70 years of age here. He'd worked so hard. He'd strived, he'd strained. He'd been cunning. He deceived his father, brother, Uncle Laban. And he's come out stronger, more successful. You wouldn't think that this man needed change. He had everything. But there was hurt, pain, and devastation behind him, like there is for all of us. And God was going to get right into the thick of it. Aren't you glad that God never rejects us? Aren't you glad that God never holds our history against us? Now, my goodness, I'm so glad that God doesn't hold my history against me, but he's still willing to meet me on the road of life at different points and say, I'll have that, Dave. I'll take that from you. I'll relieve you of this. And even when it's a tug of war scenario with God, ultimately he wins. It's wonderful. Jacob's, the next point was this. Jacob's transformation came when his strength was turned to weakness. His strength was turned to weakness. He wrestled all night. I'm not letting go. I'm holding on. These, these are the messages. These are the thoughts. These are the lessons that we can draw from this incredible encounter. That's why it's in the word of God. I'm not letting go. I'm not surrendering. I'm not going to submit. And he fought and he wrestled hard with the angel. 
And, and, you know, I applied it this way. I felt I should apply it this way last week. You know, we can wrestle with issues, whether it's a submission or a, or a surrendering issue to God or, or, or to one another. We can, we can wrestle with things in our lives that we struggle with. Do you know what? I know I shouldn't be doing that. I just can't help it. I, I, I know I shouldn't have said that, but my mouth speaks before I think. Have you ever done that? Oh, how many times have I had to learn that lesson? My mouth speaks before I think. And then you're faced with all of the, of the circumstances just popping up and growing before you as a result of what you created. What you, what you created. And you wrestle with things in your life. And this is so strong. And I, I, I know this area is not from God. I know that this is not in the new nature he's given me. I know that this is, this is what Paul talks about when he, when, when he says all things have passed away. But this thing hasn't passed away. This thing hasn't passed away. It's still there. And you wrestle with it. And you struggle with it. And God is saying, I can deal with this. And you can't deal with it. And it's like putting your arms around a, a big oak tree and trying to pull that thing out by the roots. And all you do is sweat and work and toil. And your peace goes and your energy is completely sapped. And you live under a feeling of defeat and under a feeling of just, you're no good. And everybody else is, is advancing in their faith and as a Christian. But do you know what? You've just got your arms around the trunk of this anger. You've got your arms around the trunk of this depression. Your arms around the trunk of this, of this area of your life that you can no longer deal with. You can't get it out. But this is the great thing. When your strength is reduced to weakness, God's grace becomes your aid. It does. Because they wrestled all night and then at the break of day, remember? I'm reminding you of this. It's so important. At the break of day, the angel says, I gotta go. Day's breaking. Now, was the angel saying that because Jacob wouldn't let him go? Nope. Let me tell you, the angel was far more powerful than Jacob. Jacob posed no threat to the angel. Absolutely no threat at all. But the angel said, I will, I, I, I've got to go in order to arouse a question within Jacob, a cry from his heart. And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob's not holding on to the angel now with strength. His hip socket had been only touched. When he touches that place of strength, touch. I'll touch that anger. I'll touch that deceit. I'll just touch that insecurity problem. I'm just going to touch 
that fear. There's no sweat in God. There's no striving in God. There's no, like, I'm coming in with my power and I'm going to blast it. Touch. 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 Rest. I'm going to touch it. And he touched the hip of his socket. And the strongest, most prominent part of his life, deceiver, supplanter, liar, thief, was touched and changed. I will not let you go. What's happening? He's not holding on and wrestling and got the angel in a headlock. No, none of that. He's clinging, please. In my weakness, I can't let you go until something else takes place. Bless me then. You've asked me to tell you my name. I'm Jacob, sinner, deceiver, supplanter. It's confession time. This is all I can be. This is what's been growing in me for nearly 70 years. That's why I've ripped everybody off. And I'm not happy with my life anymore. I can't go forward. I can't go backwards. Everything's a mess. I'm alone. Bless me. Okay. From now on, you're going to be called Israel. New name. New nature. And that name simply means prince with God. He begins to reign from a place of rest. Not from a place of struggle and striving and wrestling and fighting and coercing and manipulating. He rests in God. Jacob's transformation was in the fact that God called him to be who he had designed him to be, not who he had formerly known himself to be. You're not Jacob. That's not how I see you. I see you as my prince. I see you as Israel. And then finally we said that Jacob's transformation came as a result of a new revelation from God, not as an old not from remembering the old past record that he had of himself. There's a new revelation that God has for us. There's a new revelation that God wants to birth into our spirit. Paul in Romans 12 verse 2, we looked at that. He said, don't be conformed to this world. What's he saying? Don't take your identity. Don't take your point of reference from this world and be fashioned by that and be conformed by that. He said, renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And these things sometimes are challenging and hard. And we take a few steps forward and maybe more steps backwards. But I'm telling you now, we will get there. We will get there. Much of Jacob's belief system was changed on this very night. On this very night, God got right to the core of Jacob's belief system about who he was, who he'd become, and what he was doing. His belief system, the core of his being, began to change from this encounter. His walk changed. The Bible says after this, you can read it. He walked with a limp and he leaned on a staff. He walked with a limp 
and leaned with the staff. God had touched the area of his strength and he walked with a limp and he needed to lean on a staff. It's a picture of wonderful intimacy, a picture of wonderful dependence and newness on on God, reliance on God. But it didn't come without pain. It didn't come without darkness. It didn't come without cost and separation. But all the rewards were far better than what Jacob had to lay down. The the rewards beyond the wrestling, beyond the dark night, beyond the searching of his soul were far greater than Jacob could ever imagine. Yes, he still had trouble in his family after this night. Yes, things were, were, were terrifically difficult in the future. But he walked with a limp and he leaned on his staff. And even when those things ahead of him were dark and terrific and crisis was all around, he walked with a limp and leaned on his staff. He never tried to coerce or deceive or manipulate or wrangle again because he walked now with a limp in his future and leaned on a staff. Now, for the time we have remaining, I want to talk to you from just a verse that Paul gave to Titus. And it's all about how we think. And it relates directly to our lives. It relates back to Jacob's lives. In fact, it relates to life itself and many instances that we find within the Bible. I want to look at Titus chapter 1 verse 15. And when we read this, initially you might be thinking, well, what's this got to do with what we're saying? What relationship does this have? Paul says this, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and their conscience are defiled. Now let's leave that up there just so that you can look at it while I'm just trying to explain it. Amazing scripture. Paul is talking here to Titus about how we think, how we think, and what we believe, and what comes as a result of how we think and what we believe. And first of all, he says, the wonderful thing to be pure is that the pure see everything as pure. To the pure, all things are pure. They have no interpretation really, any wrong interpretation about any given circumstance or any situation. They don't go in with preconceived ideas and agendas. Life is pure. To the pure, all things are pure. But then he begins to talk about the defiled mind. The defiled mind. And he says, that mind sees everything as defiled. The unbelieving mind, the defiled mind, doesn't go into any situation or circumstance with really any pure motive. There's always an agenda. There's always something whirring in the back, interpreting what they see 
even though the situation may not be as they perceive it to be. Why? Because they're defiled. They're defiled. Jacob was just like this. He never went into any given circumstance with a purity of heart, with a purity of mind. Now, this isn't getting off at Jacob. Most of us are like this. He goes in, he rips off everybody. Why? Because there's an agenda. That's what a deceiver does. He has a hidden agenda. Paul uses this word and this phrase, defiled mind. And it's interesting, the picture that comes from this word. Paul was taking a word from the industries of his time where a glassmaker would stain and color and defile clear glass in order to make a colored window, a stained glass window. The, the, the glasssmith would go about his business and he would make clean glass and he would make colored glass. Or as they said then, he would defile it. He would defile it. And Paul says that our minds can be defiled, they can be colored. So that everything that we see and perceive takes on the color that's defiled our mind. Our mind. Think back to the Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve to, 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 to live in a wonderful place called paradise. They had everything given to them except one thing. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, hey, listen, don't touch that tree. Because the moment that you do, the moment that you partake of that tree, you will surely die. You'll become defiled. You'll lose your purity. You'll lose your ability to see and perceive and understand correctly. Correctly. Everything will take on the color that you're defiled by. I want you to, to, to go out into this world and have dominion and rule. But you're only going to have dominion and rule if you're able to interpret things correctly. We know the story. What happened? The serpent came, and what did he do? He defiled. How did he defile? By his words. Has God said? Has God said you'll surely die? Has God said? That can't be too bad. And they partook of the tree. And their whole world is colored now. Their whole world was framed by that defilement and that color and that staining that came as a result of that one disobedient act to the point that Adam was hiding in a bush. God comes as normal. Hey, listen, he's pure. He wants to meet and have fellowship with man and woman as he had always done. He comes with no agenda. He, you, you hear God and see God just, Adam, Adam. You see, to the pure... All things are pure. Adam, where are you? And then suddenly, Adam comes out. And now he's in a completely different state. He's in a completely different mode. And he said, we hid because 
We found out we were naked. Well, who told you that? Who told you that? Who, what was God saying? Who's defiled you? Who's colored you? Who's stained you? Who's given you this deception, this deceptive interpretation of what you are? You're created in my image, after my likeness. No, we're naked. And furthermore, it's the woman that you gave me. So suddenly in one statement, Adam criticizes and embitters himself against the two most important people in his life, God and his wife. You gave me this woman and you, this man should have been, oh God, we shouldn't have done it. Where's, where's the agony? Where's the repentance? Where's the sorrow? No, he comes out fighting. Why he's colored? He's defiled. Proverbs, we know the scripture well. It says, for as a man thinks... So is he. Now that can be a blessed, wonderful thing, can't it? But oh, it can be a really tough thing. It can. It can be, the, the mind can be such a blessed place, but the mind can be a prison. The mind can be a, a, a place of torture and a place of hardship. Do you know? The most precious instrument you have is your mind. And the Bible uses various terms when it talks about the mind. It talks about the heart, the soul, the spirit, the mind. They're all interchangeable because they move and flow in with each other. The most precious place that we have is our mind. And yet, oh, how so many things just run right through the center of the mind. And we allow it. Sometimes we just allow anything to come and beat and batter and defile and interpret things that shouldn't be. And we allow all of these things to come in. Do you know, you can, you can look around your, your home You've got insurance policies here, there, and everywhere to protect your goods. We've got, you know, firewalls and antivirus systems to protect any intrusion into our computer systems. We don't want anybody intruding and messing about. Alarm systems on buildings. You can go, the list is endless to the securities that we have in place in order to protect from intrusion. I want to ask this, what protection are we placing on our minds? See, God says, I've given you a helmet of salvation to protect it. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close in a moment. Maybe, maybe we have to think about what we're thinking about. Maybe we have to check 
what we just allow in casually. Why? Because it affects us, hurts us, brings us down, and maybe injures us. You know, if somebody walked into your home, sat down, no greeting, and just started being ugly, telling your kids what to do, telling you what to do, abusing you and, and just saying things that they shouldn't say in your home, I don't think you'd put up with it. It wouldn't be right to. You'd have every right to deal with that person and say, excuse me, this is my home. These are my children. This is my wife. You've got no right in here. There's no, you've got no right to intrude into my home. Please leave. Please leave. And yet many times our minds just wide open. Wide open. Just sucks anything in. And we allow this in and we allow that in. And it just sits down and it begins to take control and point this and point that. And all of a sudden... You know, sometimes we need to stop listening to ourselves and start speaking to ourselves. And immediately, you'll find a change. This is why, this is why Paul, to the church of Colossae, said, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Let it dwell within you richly. It'll deal with that color, that defilement. It'll deal with that area where you're interpreting things that are not to be or not are. It'll deal with it. And this is our portion. This is, this is where God takes every single one of us on a journey, hand by hand. The challenges for you will be different than they are for me. The things that I'll have to let go of will be different to the things that you have to let go of. My wrestle may be different to your wrestle, but when we come through it and we come out of it, you'll not be wrestling any longer. You'll be at a place where you're reigning and ruling with Christ. Finally, let me read this to you. From Ephesians chapter 5. And it's Paul, again, talking to the church. And he talks about Jesus now, not the church. He begins to give us a wonderful description of what Jesus is doing in his church. Beyond what we can do. How he deals with the defilements of our mind. How he deals with the color and the stain of our mind and he says this Jesus he that he might sanctify and cleanse her that's us with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having any spot or wrinkle we could say, or any defilement, or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without 
blemish, without stain, without anything that would bring you down and be other than what God had intended you to be. Today, as we close right now, maybe it's time to get alone with God. I'm not talking hours or months or weeks, moment. And just say, hey Lord, I listen to what you're saying. You've said that you've got exceedingly great and precious promises for me to make me a partaker of the divine nature. Lord, I want those exceedingly great and precious promises to penetrate my heart, to bring the divine nature in to this area of deficiency. I'm telling you now, God will hear our prayers, attend to our cries, and the deliverance that he brings and the transformation that he gives will be wonderful. Let's close our eyes. I'm going to pray right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for your word. Lord, I thank you today that it challenges us. Sometimes it confronts us. It comforts us. And it corrects us. Lord, I thank you that, that you love us. And Lord, we thank you that the wonderful changes that you make, you do because you want to take us from glory to glory. I pray for each and every one of us, myself included, Lord. And Lord, I pray we don't want to just praise you with our lips and our hearts be far from you. We want our hearts to be so locked in, so close, so full of you that there's no difference between the heart and the song that we sing. Lord, I pray this for your people in Jesus' name. Amen.